Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Oh, there's definitely a lot of work out there. Those people don't get sheeted on the, on the amount of work. Don't worry. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you today? It's been a little rough. Has been rough, right? Has been a little rough. We're a, we're a day behind from the Nor'easter, but we're all warm and hot showered and ready to go. That's good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> for those for, for those of you who don't live where we've been plagued, we've had uh, in New England, we've had two nor'easters come in within the spate of a week, and they're rough. Like the first one was a ton of rain and a lot of wind. It was really really windy. A lot of wind. Because I got to spend a lot of time watching garbage cans roll down the street, which was hilarious for me. It was like tumbleweeds, <laughs> and then we had another one just this week, which was rain and snow combined, and your power went out and it's been out yep. and it's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Yes, Fun. it is. And then yeah. uh, we just had uh, some snow, which is now melting at very fast rates. So there's going to be flooding. Yes. I'm just going to bury myself in the Paralympics and not pay attention. Right. And it's exciting because they start tomorrow. I know. And I'm upset because I don't have power. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be... You know, using a lot of data on my phone plan to watch <laughs> oh, right? for sure. Oh. Yeah. So today on the show, we have Robert Walsh, who competed as a Paralympian from 1988 through 2002. And I talked with him at New England Adaptive Sports' open house last November, and he walked me through how cross-country skiing and biathlon works. And currently, he is the chair of the World's Para Nordic Skiing Sport technical committee. So take a listen to what Robert has to say and learn about these two sports. We are at a station about biathlon and skiing. That's right. So, Cross country skiing okay. and biathlon. Okay. So how is each sport adapted for uh, people with disabilities? Well, it's adapted based on the disability. There are okay. different adaptations. Okay. Um, in general, for the Paralympic program, we run the 
uh, Nordic skiing, which encompasses cross-country skiing and biathlon, mm -hmm. in three categories. We have a standing category for mobility impaired, we have a sitting category for mobility impaired, and we have a visually impaired category. Okay. And, and so from a cross-country standpoint, the biggest difference probably is that the sitting category runs on courses that are different from the two standing categories okay. because of the they running in a sit ski okay which is a sled with with this cross-country skis mounted on the bottom okay and because they're using arms only mm -hmm. their hills are less okay. significant okay and, you know so they do they do sh slightly shorter races in some cases okay. but they also have a, a different course that's more suitable okay for okay that so that's not as hilly but they still that's, get a little bit right. of a rise oh there's definitely a lot of work out there <laughs> the, those people don't get sheeted on, on the amount of work don't worry so and then for the visually impaired and the standing courses they use different variations of the same course that they use for the Olympics. Okay. So it's, you know, there are different cutoffs and things. It's not exactly the same, but it's okay. the same terrain for okay. a lot of it. So that's from, from skiing, obviously for different disabilities, you've got sometimes a little bit different equipment. You have prosthesis for people with leg disabilities. You've got no prosthesis for people with arm impairments. Okay. But they sometimes ski with one pole or no poles or depending on their impairment. For visually impaired, they will ski with a guide. Okay. And then there's not a lot of other more comp complex adaptations than that, although some of the totally blind people will use you know, a speaker system or something to help them hear better. Okay. And sometimes what is hopefully not too loud of an environment, but it, it can be. And the the only other rule, I think that's, that's a, major significance there is that the B1 category, the totally blind category, they compete with goggles on to help to make sure that they're, everybody's on the same playing field in terms of vi vision. There are some people in that category who can see light and shadows, so they sort of even the playing field okay. um, by doing that. Uh, other than that, there's no special requirements for the other two visually impaired classes. Do they group different types of disabilities together? Like, well, Will a race be all? I think that going back when I was watching the Rio Paralympics, one thing that really confused me was all the different classes and trying right. to trying to understand them. So, so in this case, what we've done for Nordic skiing, and we've done this for since about 2002, we started to do it. Actually, 1998, we started to do it. 2002, after that, it it, it became for all the races, and that is grouping all the athletes into the one of those three categories okay so the standing athletes for instance have seven different classes okay. of impairments but all of those classes race for the same set of medals so they combine so there's one set so of medals, one for, set seven, of medals for, for standing seven. for standing okay. category okay. which includes people with you know leg amputations arm impairments okay you know well, it's anything from, it has, you know, the, the classes are things like one leg above the knee, one leg below the knee, two legs above the knees, two legs below the knees, mm -hmm. and those are the classes. Each of those classes are assigned a percentage that ranks them within that standing category group. So, so for all of, all of those people who have mobility impairments in the standing category, race against each other, but we adjust the times based on their 
impairment okay so that we can have a more fair race right, right? so there, there are people obviously there whose impairment is more severe than others in terms of how it affects skiing and so we try to make that adjustment so that it increases the field size makes the race more competitive and and yet is still gives everybody a chance okay and so, that, yeah in, the, in the blind categories similar to all the parish sports at this point or almost all parish points it's it's three blind classes b1 b2 b3 and they race for one set of medals okay. in the in the visually impaired category and in the sitting class or sitting category we have five classes based on the level of impairment and again we assign different percentages to them where the highest category the lw12 which which is say the most common example would be a double amputee who's sitting in a chair you know they would be at a hundred percent but someone who is a high paraplegic would be at 85 percent okay and then at the end of the at the end of the race they adjust the time and with computers these days you can do that really quickly so you can get near real time you know comparisons that's interesting then do do they have just like one race per class or do they That's have right. like so every pair? day a competition there are six races okay there for men and women mm -hmm. there are each three races okay and so we, we we group them into six races in a day we do sitting men sitting women and then standing men standing women and visually impaired men visually impaired women okay. not always in that order okay. but that's a typical okay. day then in waiting stuff to do people with arm amputees or, or one arm do they get more of a break so or, for instance for instance the, the people with both arms mm -hmm. impaired mm -hmm. will have a lower percentage than okay. the people with one arm impaired okay people that have amputations of their leg above the knee mm -hmm. will typically have a lower percentage than the people with amputations below the knee right because because the ability of having a natural knee in control of that knee rather than having a prosthesis through that joint you know gives them an advantage right in skiing so they their percentage is adjusted based on that that's really interesting and then with biathlon so biathlon is the same on the trail as cross-country skiing it's the same courses the same rules the same categorizations the only difference is that after each lap or in between each lap you come into the range and you shoot it's a 10 meter range so as opposed to the Olympic biathlon, which is on a 50 meter range, and they use air rifles for the sitting and standing classes, and they use electronic rifles for the visually impaired. So the visually impaired category, they have electronic rifles that have a camera in them that see the target, and when the athlete pulls the trigger, it records whether or not the, the the rifle was on target or whether it was off target and then it gives feedback with audio headphones that the athletes put on when they come into the range. Oh, okay. So that was going to ask then when they aim, do they hear? So they, they actually hear a tone and then okay. the tone changes depending on whether or not they're on target or off target. Okay. And the, so what it, what it does is the camera in the, in the rifle is always checking okay. and it's constantly giving them feedback. But then, as is the case in any biathlon race, able-bodied or otherwise, you know, it's the breathing, you're, you're trying to right? control your breathing because the rifle's moving around a little bit, you're tired, and when you pull the trigger, the, the rifle is likely to move some. 
and, and then in that case, sometimes you, you're on the target and you get the right tone and you pull the trigger and you end up a little bit off and you miss. But sometimes you on and after a lot of practice, a lot of the, you know, the, the people who are winning medals in the Paralympics, you know, they're, they're good enough that they're on the target, they pull the trigger, they're on the target and they, and they get a hit. And, they, and there's, like I said, there's audio feedback either way. So the athlete knows, okay, I hit that one or I missed that one. They can't tell necessarily where, you know, whether they missed right or left. Oh, um, interesting. So it's hard you know, to they, can't, they can't see down the range right. and know which direction they missed, but they know that they were off. And in practice, the rifles, they can, in training, tell that after the fact. Or they can tell that after the fact in races too, but, um, but there are, you know, the, there are recordings of the session. You can see on, the coach can see on the screen, for instance, if they have the equipment to, to look at and say, yeah, okay, they, they're constantly missing in the same place. So in that sense, it's just the same thing that they would do in, in Olympic biathlon or able body biathlon or, or even the Paralympic standing, where you can see, you know, where the where the bullet or in this case the air rifle pellet is hitting the target. So there there's ways to do that. It's very similar in that respect. It's just the the immediate feedback for the athlete is different. For um, standing athletes, do they have to do both prone and standing? All of the shooting is in prone position, okay. so there's no prone and standing. So all the targets are the same size. They're not the same. They're they're the same size in each stage. They're not the same size as the IBU targets for, for Olympics, but of course they wouldn't be because it's only 10 meter range and not a 50 meter range. So the only real difference there is that. The, well, actually, there are a couple of differences worth mentioning probably in this standing category. The people who have upper limb impairments, one or two arms, they use a support which has a spring in it, so it has some flexibility. It's not a stable hold the rifle in one place, but it, but it does give them somewhere to put the rifle so that they can aim and, and shoot with the one good hand. Or in some cases, I've seen people that, that have competed with no arms that rig up the rifle so that they can pull it with their teeth or their head or something like that. It's, that gets into some pretty serious customization. And then the other thing noting is that in the Sitskis, some of them, because of, depending on their impairment, they either lie down on their side or they lie down on their stomach and they flip the, the chair up behind them. Oh, okay. So, so if I if I could just, they can sometimes they their chair is this way, right, with the skis mm -hmm. going this way, and they're twisted this this way to shoot. Okay. But some of them can't twist their body that way. Right. So what they have to do is then they they just flip their legs back this way, and the skis are up in the air okay. while they're on their belly. So it's just it's again that's a it's not a standard rule there's no rule about that sort of thing but it's it's how we allow them to adapt their style to you know, what they're what they're able to do okay. what should viewers know when they watch the sport well the one thing to know is that it's really hard but I think that you probably figure that out when they watch it <laughs> especially the shooting part it's, you know it's, it's a lot harder than it looks but the um, but the other thing to know is that depending on the format of the races, we have several different formats of the races. And so some of the formats 
are set up so that the first person across the finish line wins. Some of the formats, like in the relay or the sprints, those are the case. But in the individual formats, it's all about time, right? So the first person, so they start at interval starts, and then they take your time at the end and they rank it. And as I mentioned before, with computers, we can keep good track of of times as they go along. Um, but it's you don't really know the finisher until the end, and that that's the same with Olympic biathlon. If anybody's seen, you know, like the Olympic downhill or alpine races, it's the same as they do there, right? There's one person on the course at a time in an alpine race, and you get down to the bottom and you say, oh, well, now they're in fourth position, and. Well, we have more than one person on the course at a time because of the length of the course. It's, it's safe and it's efficient, but, uh, but it's that same thing. We have checkpoints along the way that they take the time and they say, okay, this person's coming into the finish. This is where they're, this is where they're standing at the moment, but you don't really know who's winning until you get pretty much through the race. And sometimes it comes down to just the last person. Then lastly, what do you wish the media would say about Anything. This sport, anything. Is, anything is that really the problem for her? I mean, <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's not really the problem, in the sense that really it's it's a fairly small sport. I, a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know it's only applicable in certain parts of the world, right? Right, and even in a place like the media center, like the United States, it is really only a small part of the United States that has the opportunity to do this as a sport. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to have the media go out there and, and show you know, what's going on and, and give people opportunity to see you know, what really good athletes the, uh, you know, are out there doing this sport. The other thing actually I would note that the media would highlight, uh, and, and they do, is just the quality of people. You know, I think that, that the sport that we have in cross-country skiing, it really is a community sport. There's a lot of, I mean, I do this with my ski club at home. I was an athlete, I, and, and, uh, and in all levels that I've been involved in this, the sport of cross-country skiing is very much a community-driven sport. And you can see it on the international stage that all of these athletes are competing against each other, but they see each other you know, throughout the year, and they see each other year after year in some cases. And you really do get a sense to know each other as athletes and coaches, and so it's it's really an interesting dynamic that way. I think that that's one of the things about the sport to me that really keeps people interested in it, and that you don't necessarily see as you're racing. Uh, but but there are I don't know that you can catch it on TV or in the media as much, but there are examples of that. Like when I was competing, I used to have coaches on other teams giving me split times. Mm -hmm. And you see things every once in a while, you hear things pop up where a coach will give a, a pole to an athlete from a different country who has a broken pole or something like that. So it's, I mean, it's competitive, everybody wants to win, but at the same time, everybody wants to win, you know, their best race doing their best thing. So it, so they, they want to be fair, right? Okay. And, and there's that community of, okay, we understand everybody's out there to win, but we're out here as people too. That was fascinating. I loved listening to it because I was not with you when you right. went to to that conference. So was he actually climbing over a chair to demonstrate? Because at one point in the tape, it sounded oh, right, like right. he was. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He laid down and like demonstrated with his legs, like how to 
to uh, how they did the prone position. So that it was really interesting and and also interesting with the lasers and and how much closer the targets are. And I wonder, yes. you know, I, and I'm sure that's still an incredible challenge to try to get that right. So I'm really looking forward to watching the biathlon and seeing how the laser guns work in action. Yes, yeah, so now that I've gotten so into biathlon from the the past Olympics, now it's like, wow, I get to see this whole other dimension of biathlon, right, right. which and, is fascinating. And it was really nice. I really liked how he described how the classes worked. Yes. How do we get all of these probably very disparate abilities into a place where they can compete together, which I think right. is fascinating. Yeah. And I never thought about, you know, because we've said before, I really haven't watched the Para uh, Olympics mm-hmm. before. I didn't think about how the different disabilities would compete against it's like it never even crossed my mind and I felt stupid that it hadn't crossed my mind when I was listening to the interview I was like oh of course how does that work right right especially when you're talking about like limbs at different lengths you know your limb below this level or above this level yes that really struck me because as a as an able-bodied person the way he spoke about it was so casual. Oh yeah, limb below the knee, limb above the knee. And as an able-bodied person, I'm like, oh, I could never yeah, talk like that. Yeah. But I should because he's comfortable with it. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. Right. It's just that's what we're dealing with. And so it made me then again aware of my own prejudice or my own discomfort on some of these issues. Right. Which is good. Which is important. Which yes, is good. Yes, I to, think it's nice. To, yes, because I think it think it helps us learn and move forward. And that's Absolutely. that's one of the things I, that makes me happy about being able to have the show and cover Paralympics as well, because then we learn and we become better, I hope. Or at least better educated. Yes. <laughs> well, we're trying. We're trying. I know. But uh, I'm really excited to see what they do for the different sports and how the competition works. The The cool thing is that Next week, we're going to have a show. Our show will be talking about what we've seen. But the nice thing is that by the time it drops, you'll still be able to watch some event in every sport that's being competed. I was looking at how the how the schedule was laying out. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, we that's really cool. The schedule. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to. I'm, I'm really excited that the competitions seem manageable to watch. I hate to say that. But I know. <laughs> I know we won't be up at three o'clock in the morning right, and triple but, screening. But uh, yeah, I don't think we could do another week of that. No, that would <laughs> no. be a little rough. <laughs> but maybe if we had the fins with us. Oh, because they were knitting. They were knitting. So we came across the story where the Finnish, it, how it came up was the Finnish snowboarding coach, Antti Kaskinen. I'm going to go with Koskinen, was knitting at the top of the snowboard run. And it turns out that the Finnish, the whole Finnish Olympic team knits together. It started in Sochi. They made a giant scarf that they then wore. Like several people wore this scarf all together at the same time <laughs> at a press conference. So if you go on YouTube, you can find it and see them all wearing the scarf. I mean, the scarf was amazing. And then this time the team was making a blanket for the newborn son of the Finnish president. Which is adorable. Which is the cutest. I mean, if that isn't the most Scandinavian thing I've ever heard. (laughs) 
like were they drinking grog while they were doing it? It's just so fantastic. So yeah, so they do it to de-stress and stay calm and bond them as a team. It's, I love I love it. We need to knit together. It's very cool. Yes. I don't know how, do you to, know knit. how to knit. No, I, I don't, don't know how to knit either. My mother knows how to knit. So does mine. I know, but she couldn't teach me because I'm left-handed. Mm, right, right. And yet apparently I have to knit backwards. Hmm. I don't know. So if there's any left-handed knitting teachers out there, I I want to learn how you to are knit. Available for the I Olympic am- Fever Knitting Project TVT. <gasps> We could make a giant scarf. We could make a giant scarf. To wrap the whole team in. That's right. There you go. Team Olympic fever. Uh. (laughs) I'll just be happy if I could do, you know, knit one pearl too. (laughs) Baby steps? That's what you're talking about? Baby steps. Baby steps to the baby blanket. Awesome. The news has also been full of Olympians going home or Olympians having to go back to competition. Because yes. their seasons are not over yet. But did you see who is not going to compete at the World's Figure Skating Championships? Yuzuru Hanyu. He dropped out because his injury isn't good. Yeah. I knew he was not good. How could he be? Right. So uh, the Straits Times reported that he was like a quarter of full fitness during the Olympics. That was a quarter. Right? Yeah, which was wow. amazing. So he needs two weeks of rest and three months of rehab. Wow. At least. So he's not going to be there. I know that the Shibsibs also dropped out, but I think... Did they? Yes, they did withdraw. Let me pull this up. Huh. Well, the U.S. dance could still get a world medal with uh, Chalk and Bates and uh, Hubble and Donahue. I mean, the team's so strong. So the Shibsids withdrew, and Hawayek and Baker are replacing them. Okay. So, right, because uh, we have three slots for Bobro- dance. Uh, Bobrova and Soloviev also withdrew from the ice oh, bands. Oh, we're not going to get to see the blind girl again? No, apparently not. It's bad. I know you missed that. Also, Coombs and no. Buckland from Great Britain uh, withdrew. But that's so common after the in the Olympic right, year, right? Right, right, and when the Olympic skaters do yes. not compete at Worlds. Yes, and Jason Brown also withdrew from the U.S. Huh? Because yeah, we had more slots for Worlds than we did for the Olympics. Correct. So he was not on. He was the Olympic alternate. Right. Not on the Olympic team. Yeah, it's interesting to see how different championships are shaking out, and I know that. Uh, Team Schuster from curling did not go to U.S. Curling Nationals, which are going on right now because they're doing a lot of media and got to get the uh, publicity in while you can. I mean, how how often can you be a champion curler and get on national TV? Right. They've been having a ball. It's been great. I mean, take your opportunity. (laughs) Seriously. But, yeah, it's it's now we're settling into – the Olympic highs are starting to come down. People are winding up their World Cup seasons, whatever is left of them, and time to move You know forward. whose high is not coming down? Who? Is the ladies' hockey team. Oh. The U.S. women's hockey team. They are everywhere. Right. I follow several of them on Instagram. So the funny thing that they've been doing is they've been showing up when they go to an event, then they show up at a local Dunkin' Donuts Oh, really? And start serving coffee because Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> is a big sponsor. 
for the <laughs> Olympic hockey team. Yes. So they'll be like, hi, here I am with my medal serving your coffee. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. And they've been going everywhere. They were on Ellen. They were on uh, the Today Show. They were on, at various um, hockey and basketball events in LA. They've been all over the place oh and it's God. been fantastic watching them. Oh, that's fun. That is fun. Now we're moving on into summer. Are we? There's another Nor'easter coming Sunday night. I just saw it. <laughs> I would like to move into summer, but I don't think that's happening. Oh, but move we shall. Move we shall. Okay. Uh, trivia time. Do you time. have trivia for me? I was going to yeah. say, I do have trivia for you. What is the new sport added to the Paralympic program this year? Well, can see, I didn't even know what the other sports were. <laughs> oh, ouch. Until, no, until yes. we started doing it, I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. So how about, no, how about snowboarding? That is correct. Very Are good. you kidding? No, it was introduced in oh. Sochi. It, it was in Sochi, but it was part of alpine skiing. And now this year it's its own sport. Oh, that was a good guess. That was very good. Thank you. Would you like, okay. uh, yeah, you asked me your question. Okay. So the Paralympics, the, the, the original Paralympics before they were called the Paralympics, were called the Stoke Mandeville Games. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Mandeville, one of the uh, mascots from London, was named after the Stoke oh. Mandeville Games. Oh. Yeah. That's not the trivia question. I'm just mentioning that. And it started in 1948 with one sport. And this is a winter sport? No. This okay. is a summer sport. Um. It's a 16 injured servicemen and women all competed in one sport. I'm going to say swimming. Archery. Archery. Get out of town. Far out. I know. The original sport. The original sport. And such a random sport. Interesting. You know, speaking of mascots, though, when I was doing my research for my trivia question, I wanted to tell you about the Sochi Paralympic mascots. Oh, no. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, so let's remember the Sochi Olympic mascots were very cleverly named Bear, Leopard, and Rabbit. The Sochi Paralympic Winter Games, the mascots were Ray of Light and Snowflake. And let me tell you their story. (laughs) No. Ray of Light came from a different planet that was perpetually hot and landed on Earth. With amber skin and bright large eyes and hair looking like flames, he was overwhelmed by the new experiences he made. Ray of Light soon found out that he and the people of Earth had a lot in common. He took up Nordic skiing and became friends with the people around him. As the only alien on Earth, though, he became lonely. Until one day he saw a shooting star falling to Earth, which turned out to be Snowflake, a girl with skin as white as snow coming from a planet that was perpetually cold. Snowflake and Ray of Light became friends, inventing the sports of ice sledge hockey and wheelchair curling. The Paralympic mascots Ray of Light and Snowflake stayed on Earth, finally acknowledging that through sport, they are not so different from humans after all. And their favorite snack is mushrooms? (laughs) What drug-induced haze produced that story? I do not know. Wow. Man, that's a little rough. I know. Give me Bondubby any day, right? Any day. Whoa. So excited. Heck, I'd even take those those light-up things from Beijing over that. 
ray of light and snowflake. So basically they had heat miser and cold miser as their. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. So, so strange. They needed some help in the mascot department. They did. Sochi did really need help. But yeah, that was Sochi. So we are, I will say I'm very grateful that we have Bondabi. <laughs> To walk us through and cheer us on these Paralympic Games. And now the the ones for Tokyo definitely are looking a lot better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you're like on the fence with the mascot, you're like, hmm, this could be good. You just go back to like Sochi or London or no, just go back to Atlanta and go, whoa, whoa, oh, hey yeah. now, that's rough. Well, we're going to call it a short show for this week. Oh, wait, no, I had one more thing because I wanted to to let everybody know the results of our fun drive because I forgot to do that last week. So we had a little fundraising drive during the Olympic Games to help us keep the lights on. And we are so grateful to everybody who chipped in. So we've got enough money to pay our basic monthly expenses for things that aren't super exciting but are very necessary to have, like our hosting and our domains and our email addresses. And then we do have some leftover, so we're going to look into beefing up our equipment so we can make better sounding interviews. So uh, we're very excited to be able to start tackling them. And it's all thanks to you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you for everybody who gave us reviews on iTunes too, because that's really helpful and has really, I, I think it's helped boost our visibility a bit. So we really And we read that. them all. Yes, we, <laughs> we do. And we love them. We've gotten some good reviews, like good reviews and good, good opinions about us. I, I, I've enjoyed them all, even if they're not like if people don't like us, which is fine. I know. their opinion, man. I know. And I actually find it very interesting, but I am. I'm so grateful to everyone who donated. That was so, so, so amazing. Yes. And, and fun, which is great. So, and I love seeing the reviews and I love the notes and I love getting emails. It just it makes my whole day. Yes. So we appreciate how you have helped make this a bigger community of fans. And we are so looking forward to putting on new episodes for you over the coming year. And on that note, we got to get to planning because we've got shows yeah. coming up and we've got to now we can plan out what we're going to do for the future. When we actually have power again. Yeah, when we have power again. <laughs> When, when the spring thaw comes, we'll be ready, Ma. That's right. That's right. So on that note, everybody, thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. We could make a giant scarf. We could make a giant scarf. To wrap the whole team in.